Welcome to Epidemiology Now. My name is Eun Young Lee. Epidemiology Now is a podcast prepared for students in Health 323 Introduction to Epidemiology at Queen's University. Okay, hello everyone. Today uh, we're going to be talking about applications of epidemiology in public health. Um, so, as a guest today, we have Sylvia Gonzalez. Sylvia Gonzalez is a PhD student, PhD candidate. Um, pursuing her PhD degree at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario currently, but she's, she's uh, due to COVID, she's back to her country in Colombia. So hi, Sylvia. Hello, I'm very happy to be in your course today. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. So do you want to introduce yourself to the class in, in, in any way that you like? <laughs> okay, I'm pretty bad to talk about myself. I don't like it that much. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, for sure, I can do it. Uh, oh, first of all, sorry for my, uh, maybe my bad English. I've been here for almost 10 months. And I am not practicing my English that much. So I apologize for that in advice in, in advance, sorry, <laughs> for example. <laughs> but okay, so um, as uh, you mentioned, I'm a PhD candidate right now. I'm a nutritionist, but it was my, my degree uh, from the National University here in Colombia. After that, I did a master's in public health. And that's when I started working in physical activity. And it was my first um, approach to research. And after that, I didn't stop. I, I started working in research and doing my master's at the same time. And it was a great experience. Then it took me to the uh, epidemiology path. I was working for the group of epidemiology in Universidad de los Andes. is one of the uh, top universities here in Colombia. And then I decided to do a PhD. Uh, I wanted to continue working in public health and the best fit for me to continue doing my research in physical activity and uh, other lifestyles topics was um, the program in epidemiology at the University of Ottawa with, under the supervision of Mark Tremblay. So that's a, not exactly who I am, but what I, part of what <laughs> am I doing and <laughs> the topic related to the conversation today. Right. Thank you. That was a great introduction. We cannot definitely define you. Um, as just one academic or one researcher. You're a good friend of mine and you're a really nice person. Um, so I, I really um, appreciate that you're, you're joining us to talk about public health and the application of epidemiology in public health. So thanks for coming in. And don't worry about English. I wish we can speak Spanish and we can do this interview in Spanish, <laughs> but unfortunately, the only two words that I know is hola and amigo. So, <laughs> hola, Those are important amigo, ones. <laughs> right? And gracias. So, 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming in and for the nice introduction. So today we're going to be talking about, um, you know, the use of epidemiology in forming public health policy or to, to the promotion of public health policy. So, or uh, public health, sorry. So I think you are situated perfectly to talk about this topic. Um, so you gave us a little bit of a background of your research training, but what are you interested in, uh, in terms of uh, your research efforts? Uh, okay, my main topics of research are physical activity and obesity related variables in mainly in children and Latino populations. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested also in all the influence of uh, the built environment, um, public policy. I have a lot of different interests and at <laughs> different stages of my uh, studies have been able to uh, go uh, deeper in those. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm focused on physical activity in children and their main uh, correlates uh, specifically in active transportation is one of the topics that I've worked the most mm -hmm. um, but uh, I have also I, I'm also interested in nutrition variables I just have had hadn't have the opportunity to work much on that mm -hmm. as I would like as a nutritionist mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been uh, working more in physical activity, but I, I I feel like I'm going back to those interests right now, and maybe for the future for a postdoc or future work. Yeah, uh, I think it's a it's a very relevant topic right now here in Latin America. Um, obesity, childhood obesity is starting just starting to be a problem when mm. we still have undernutrition. So I think there is a lot to do in that regard here. Mm -hmm. Uh, also, I, I love the um, uh, like the particular contexts that we have here in Latin America for research and uh, how the um, environments provide very unique laboratories for studying mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. So the urban context uh, is a very interesting um, topic for research, like all the urban health. Uh, related outcomes that's mm -hmm. where there's a lot to do mm -hmm. nice so I think you brought up a couple really interesting um, topics so the first one is the built environment and you mentioned that um, you're interested in active transportation uh, especially out of the the physical activity spectrum that we look at so what do you mean by the built environment? Uh, okay, it's basically the um, characteristics of the uh, cities and surroundings, mainly in the urban context. Mm -hmm. Because if we talk about rural context, the most relevant thing is the natural environment, I will say. The right. built environment is that... Um, environment that has been modified by the mm. humans mm -hmm. 
so in in the field of physical activity and active transportation, there are certain variables from the environment that are very relevant, like the density of the cities, mm -hmm. the distribution of, um, I don't know, for example, bus stops, these kind of things that we may not think that are very related to the health of people. Mm -hmm. They are. And it's very interesting to see how they can be related in opposite ways according to the context. If you see the research in, in built environment and physical activity uh, in the US and Europe, their results are completely different from what we have here in Latin America or maybe in other low and middle income uh, countries context. So mm -hmm. that's something that I also find very interesting because Sometimes we, we kind of replicate those things that work in the North and mm -hmm. they don't work the same here. Right. The concepts, the, the actions, the uh, infrastructure, they don't work. Not right. always work the same. Yeah. Right. But because I guess research production is mainly um, originated from Western countries, I guess it's like, we are taking the information from the evidence developed by, you know, Western um, wealthy countries and try to apply that into different contexts um, in different countries. But I guess it doesn't really work. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about the context of Colombia? So what kind of um, policies for active transportation, for example, has been have been successful and what kind of policies um, haven't really been? Um, well, active transportation here in Colombia is something that occurs mainly by necessity. Mm -hmm. It's not that we can say that we have the better infrastructure or the best policies. No, mm. it's just that just 20% or 25% of people here in the capital in Bogota have a car. So the rest of the people uh, have to use the public transportation that is uh, chaotic. <laughs> right. Or uh, have to walk or use the bicycle. So right. it's mainly so it... a necessity. Mm -hmm. But there are also interesting policies. Uh, we have a... Um, bike law something like that it's called the pro bici it's like mm -hmm. bike friendly law <laughs> law mm -hmm. and it's very interesting because it uh, encourages them it starts with the people working for the government mm -hmm. at the national and local levels mm -hmm. and if they go biking if they bike to work Mm -hmm. um, let's say for the whole month, the 30 days of the month, they have one, like half free day mm. paid, like half day that they don't have to work or something like that. It's like an but, incentive for them to, oh. to go bike to work. Right. Uh, nice. So it's a very good reward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be paid. a good reward. Yeah, you get a day off and you get paid. 
Yeah. Nice. And also there are other incentives like um, public transportation cards. Um, they are also in within the actions of this law, they are mm -hmm. improving the infrastructure in uh, the public offices, buildings to have uh, parking, uh, showers, or this kind of infrastructure mm. that will uh, promote the use of active modes of transportation. And that also applies for people who are walking to work, not mm. only bike, but also mm -hmm. walking. So that's, that's great. It was uh, put in place like in 2015. So the impact has not been evaluated yet. Mm -hmm. But at least in the last survey of nutrition where we evaluated the um, um, engagement in biking for transportation, we found that at least it's not decreasing and it has uh, increased a little bit uh, among mm -hmm. women, which is mm -hmm. great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. So this is low, but there... There are like many things that need to happen at the same time. Right now with the um, COVID pandemic, people are avoiding public transportation. So they are biking more and it's incredible to see how um, they are taking la lanes in main streets just yeah. for bikes. Oh, nice. Which was impossible in the past because even if it's just 25% of people with cars, they have a lot of influence in this kind of decisions. And it's mm -hmm. difficult to, to take space for the bikes in the roads here. But right now it's happening and it's great. Right. So, yeah, like you said, 25% owning their own vehicle, um, that's pretty striking compared to you know canada and we probably you know probably over 90 percent of the population um own a vehicle um here and yeah so that's pretty interesting and like you said those 25 percent who own a vehicle they're probably more likely um in a position of power um to make policies so it's great that the changes are happening due to the pandemic, even though the pandemic <laughs> has more negative things than, than positive yeah. things. Yeah, but I think that's good. So that leads to um, my curiosity, curiosity about what's going on in Colombia with COVID-19. So can you tell, tell me a little bit about that and in terms of public health restrictions or regulations, how things are going there? Yeah, well, um, it is difficult here because um, the government doesn't have a lot of help for people. So it's not easy to make the choice to stay at home. Mm. So during the first, let's say eight months, it was very uh, under control. Mm -hmm. But then people realized that government were not going to help a lot and that mm -hmm. they needed to work and needed to do things right. so the the city they sorry the yeah the main cities and the whole country opened a little bit and slowly all the measures all the lockdown was relaxing and the cases were increasing until mm -hmm. it was it 
got out of control during the holidays. Mm. Here, of course, the, the economy was pretty bad even before the pandemic. And um, during the holidays, the, how do you say that? Like the commerce didn't close. Like people were encouraged to go shopping and the, all of those things to all right. not, not to affect the economy, mm -hmm. which was pretty bad. And we are seeing that right now. Uh, with more than 20,000 cases per day during the last weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's getting pretty bad. And now we're going back to um, the initial measures, but in, um, let's say, uh, we are not in a general lockdown. It's more uh, by neighborhoods or localities where mm -hmm. they have the highest amount of cases. Mm -hmm. It's like escalated. I don't know if that word exists. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it does. Is in order to avoid closing the, the whole businesses and the whole... Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, the whole cities yeah. and services. So they are, the government is trying to... To combine the yeah the actions in certain uh, places, mm -hmm. um, and they only they can only do that in cities where they have um, ICU occupation higher than seventy percent, mm -hmm. or sorry, higher than fifty percent. Mm. In the rest of the of the cities, they should be like. Taking so uh, having social distance, social distance, social, social distancing, yeah, distancing yeah. or physical uh, distancing, yeah, yeah. Also, they implemented all these protocols that we are not sure that are very useful at the end, like uh, <laughs> putting these clean cleaning stations at the entrance of the shops. Mm -hmm. um, measuring the temperature but uh, you know the the equipments they they are not the best so right. they are not very accurate measures mm. but, and what yeah. about the what about the vaccine situation there they haven't started they have um looks like a good vaccination plan mm -hmm. but I think it's the same as in many other countries that we don't know much about the negotiation that the government did with the um, uh, laboratories. Mm -hmm. So they don't have um, a certain date for the to, to start the vaccinations here. Mm -hmm. Everyone are um, very optimistic about that, but it will be slow. It will be mm. very slow. Here in Latin America, I think, just Argentina, Mexico, and Costa Rica um, have started and have done good progress with the vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, right now there is a lot of tension about that topic here. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, that's really good to know. So 
I want to go back to now, go back to um, the, the research topic that we were talking about. So we were talking about the built environment and how, you know, good built environment can, can encourage people to, uh, to commute in an, in an active form versus passive form. Um, but, and now your research exhibit, it's, it's called Open Streets, a, a Healthy Epidemic. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what this is about and how it is go going, how it has been implemented in Colombia? Yeah, okay, that uh, fact sheet, I think is called, mm -hmm. it's a little bit old. I think it's mm -hmm. from 2003 and I don't know, 13, 15? Mm -hmm. 2013, yeah, I think. Yeah, but we have kept updating that, like the research in that topic. Open streets, um, for those that don't know, is a program that closes streets for ve two vehicles and open them for running, uh, biking, jogging, walking, mm -hmm. all kind of physical activities during, usually during Sundays and holidays. Mm. Uh, and it depends, like it varies, it's, it's different according to the, to the context, right? Mm -hmm. It started in the U.S., actually mm -hmm. some people mm -hmm. think that it started here in Colombia in Bogota mm -hmm. but no <laughs> it was inspired by the by by something they did in the central park mm -hmm. but then some um, young people from Colombia went there and they loved the idea and they brought it here and they started closing the main streets uh, in Bogota and it's a great initiative. I, I love that program because it's something that has been replicated in many, many countries. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a physical activity or recreation program, but at the same time, it's a public health program because it creates opportunities for healthy lifestyles uh, in many places. Like here in Bogota, you see that, yeah, people go out to exercise, but they also have healthy food along the paths and mm -hmm. uh, we have studied the um, different outcomes um, regarding to the implementation of these programs and is in terms of air pollution, noise, uh, mm -hmm. uh, physical activity, mental health outcomes, it has a lot of benefits. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the, the programs that we liked the most to study mm -hmm. here in in public health and it's an amazing um, example of pro, uh, how do you call it? intersectoral efforts mm -hmm. for health. So mm -hmm. here you can see how, at, the, at, at least in the case of the program in Bogota, you can see people from the sports department or ministry working in mm -hmm. this, but also the health department, urban planning, um, the police, <laughs> the education, because 
for example, students in the last year of school, they volunteer mm -hmm. for the program. So there is an, a nice integration of mm. many different actors in creating these opportunities for people to be active. Mm -hmm. Nice. So intersectorial work, um, I think that's an important point and very essential element for successful public health. So I guess it's just not about epidemiological evidence that we produce as a researcher, but working together with people who, um, you know, who, who wants to better people's lives and their health. Yeah, and you see that there are many um, wheels, like mm -hmm. people wanting to work on this, but mm. sometimes they don't know how to advocate for these right. kind of programs. And that's where I think that we as epidemiologists have a great um, opportunity to contribute. And that's what we have seen here um, with the group that I work here in, in Colombia. We mm -hmm. have been very close to the leaders of this kind of programs in the country. Mm -hmm. So what we have done is helping them mm -hmm. to choose, okay, what can we focus in? Mm -hmm. What benefits do you want to study about this program? Mm -hmm. And how can we present this to policymakers to help them to make good decisions and to keep these kind of programs in place? So mm -hmm. right now, like it started in Bogota, but it's in more than 60 uh, municipalities here in Colombia. It's like It's a permanent program mm -hmm. and it has been the same um, in the world. It has replicated uh, with different motivations, mm -hmm. I think, in, in, in different contexts. But mm -hmm. there are many, many people from our field working in, in this and it's amazing to see how, uh, like all the benefits that you can mm -hmm. <laughs> find. And also it's challenging for us mm -hmm. as, because We are public health people. We know the importance of making people people more active or these kind of mm -hmm. things. But when you have to convince a policymaker who has the money or who decides on the budget for a city, mm. you need to talk in terms that they will understand and that will make them interested in what you are doing so mm -hmm. for example in that in that fact sheet you can see that there is a um, cost benefit analysis i think mm -hmm. yeah where you can put the benefits of cyclovias or open streets in terms of money mm -hmm. how much they can save in health expenses having this kind of programs for example so right. Yeah, that's something that I think is is great for for people who work in our in our field to see how they can have an actual impact on the policy making and decision making of local or national contexts. Mm -hmm. So it's a truly it's truly a, a collaborational work. But before we get to that collaborative work uh, process stage, I guess we as a researcher also and public health, those who are involved in public health, um, we need to sell the program to those in power that this is worth it, 
we're gonna save money by doing this. So I guess that it's not an it's not an easy job to do. Yeah, no, it's one of the main challenges, <laughs> and yeah, like the knowledge translation is super difficult sometimes, mm-hmm. and we have mm-hmm. seen that with COVID, it's mm-hmm. very difficult that people don't. Um, interpret the data in a different way and mm-hmm. super like it requires uh, some training and <laughs> it's not as, as easy but mm-hmm. I think we need to do that if we want to have an impact right so I guess as an epidemiologist like we produce numbers we produce statistics so and you know, economists too. So, you know, conducting this type of cost um, benefit analysis and and providing important statistics to to public health authorities and those who are in power, um, I guess that's really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I, I think we add it's not like, yeah, economists that they can put everything into numbers. And yeah, we also know what are the relevant variables for whatever Mm. outcome we are studying, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and I've seen that working in these interdisciplinary teams Mm -hmm. where you have people who are great with the statistical models and they have great ideas on how to do an analysis but they also need our inputs to choose what variables to take into account in one of the in, in the models. Right. So that's that's great to see how we can complement um, very nicely in uh-huh. in these kind of teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's that's great. Um, so I think I think we talked about. Um, important things about applying epidemiology uh, to, to develop public health policy. But one thing that I will also want to discuss is what happens after. So we develop this epidemiological evidence, we work with people, we, we build partnerships with you know, urban planners and the cities um, and different sect- people working in different sectors. And we develop public health policy that could work really well. Um, but now, and as you said, open streets, uh, it hasn't been um, evaluated. So what requires um, for epidemiologists to evaluate public health policy? Uh Sorry, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I understand what you're asking. Like, what would, do we need to follow up with this effort or something yeah, like so, that? Yeah, so as an epidemiologist, how, how can you follow up um, to evaluate these, these type of uh, public health policy just to see if it's successful or not? So I guess your research paper could be one example, kind of um, monitoring the levels and the trends of active trans uh, active transport and the use of open streets. So can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think 
what I've seen is a big effort from the um, uh, researchers to continue studying uh, these kind of initiatives. Mm-hmm. But we, it would be great if it would come from the uh, institutions or the governments who are implementing these programs. Because usually we as researchers try to get a grant to study something like that and then to help to maintain the programs or not. But it should be also an interest of the... Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the governments who are right. implementing this to, to continue them. Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting example, the open streets programs, because it mm-hmm. has not been attached to any particular administration. Mm. So even if the mayor changes, the program is still in place. They will never mm-hmm. touch it. Also, because there is a lot of um, community engagement. Mm. So the community wouldn't allow the program to end. Right? They will right. always advocate for the program. But that doesn't happen with all the programs that you see in public health. Right. You see that many of them depend on the political will on the, mm-hmm. the administrations or the, the, the people who bring the program and then they change the administration and the program is over, which mm-hmm. is a, a it's, it's very bad. And sometimes you just don't get to evaluate the program because they finish it before. So I right. think that it, it will be great if we <laughs> could um, convince the policymakers just to mm-hmm ensure that we that they could have a follow-up or an evaluation of whatever mm-hmm. interventions or actions they are doing. Um, right. Yeah, so right now I think it's... Yeah. Sorry? No, go ahead. Right now. Oh, yeah. It's something that needs a lot of action. Like we as researchers need to advocate for that, uh, like monitoring and a... a evaluation of initiatives mm-hmm. also we have seen that it's very useful to engage the community mm. we i have had the opportunity to work with citizen science mm-hmm. in some of these projects and oh my god it's incredible to see all the power that they have mm-hmm. so i think that's something that we can explore and I, that, that i will invite your students to Mm-hmm. to look at because it's engaging people as part of the research process and asking their own research questions, collecting the data, mm-hmm. looking for solutions, like mm. engaging them in all the process and that that can have very interesting results. Yeah. Right. So I guess for public health policy, to be successful and to continue being successful, I guess government engagement and continued investment um, are key to to success, basically. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Well, that's that's really good. Um, good thing to know. Um, so. So. Lastly, do you have anything to say to our students? Anything that you want to convey? Um, and you can speak in Spanish. 
So go ahead. <laughs> um, well, this is, okay, this is the moment for the advice that you said? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that my advice will be to try and find when you're deciding on what do you want to do, mm -hmm. try to find something that you feel passionate about or that you can combine with something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, so it will make easier <laughs> to deal when things are not that easy. That is uh, right. most of the time, depending yeah. on whatever, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, but that's key, I think, to enjoy whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you like epidemiology, that would be great. <laughs> And these kind of programs are, yeah, I think there are many nice outcomes that can be studied. And it's great when you find something that you really like to do mm -hmm. because you don't mind about having to do a lot of that. <laughs> Right. And having to, I, go, I having to go through having to go through difficulties like convincing government officials. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't know what to say in Spanish. Buena suerte. Buena suerte a todos con el curso. Good luck to everyone with this difficult course. Nice. No. Okay, well, Thanks, Sylvia, for coming in today, and it was great to talk with you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs>